coming judgment. Now, we're going to talk about that more in a little bit. Judgment is not a very popular word in, in our culture today. But, but listen, beloved, if, you know, if, if all of a sudden I noticed something at the back of the church that endangered the Baptist, I mean the people uh, that, that were sitting uh, on the back row. Yeah, some of y'all got that. And I didn't say anything about it. What kind of person would I be? I would be a monster if I knew that there was something that endangered you and I didn't warn you that it was coming, that it was about to happen. God sent Hosea among many other prophets to warn Israel and Judah that judgment was coming, that there was a calamity coming upon Israel. Many would die and others would wish that they had. Now, I need you to understand that death is not the end of life. A lot of people believe that, you know, you just, you go through life, you die, and that's it. That there's no survival of anything, okay? That, I mean, obviously our Buddhist friends believe that, that, that your soul, if you have purified it properly, if you have, through a series of reincarnations, gotten it right, then when you die, you kind of go into a big pool of water as yet another drop of water. You become part of the whole and lose your complete, completely lose your personal identity. Others believe that when you die, that's it. You're not aware of anything. It's a complete cessation of your mind, of your spirit, if they even believe in a spirit. Death is not the end of our life. Death is not the end. You know, I read an article this week. There was this guy that asked, will we ever find another element that's unknown right now to humanity? And a guy, the most popular answer, the most popular answer was given by a guy with an associate of arts in computer science and music production. Okay? Have I set the stage? This guy is completely unqualified to answer this question. And yet he says that you're not going to be able to add any more protons to any of the elements that we see in the periodic table of elements, and therefore, no, on no alien world will we ever find another element that humanity doesn't know of. That is hubris. Straight up and down, beloved. That is hubris. It is claiming that humans are smart enough to know everything that is possible to be known about everything in the universe. Beloved, we don't even understand this planet yet, okay? We don't understand this planet yet. And, and, and we can't go out there and make these sweeping generalizations and say that humans have learned everything there is to learn. We haven't. I, I, I read another article a couple of weeks ago, and and it was by a thoughtful atheist, okay? There aren't too many of them out there, all right? Let me tell you that. When If you ever engage in a debate with an atheist, it's going to turn to name-calling and belittling very quickly. 
And the atheist will do that too. Okay. Because that's the way we generally treat them. But anyway, this guy was a thoughtful atheist. And he said that when he talks to Christians, the number one question that he asks is, because we tend to ask it of them, what kind of proof would you require in order to believe in the existence of God? And he said he always asks the Christians that he talks to, what kind of proof would you need in order to disbelieve the existence of God? And he said most Christians can't answer that question. I can. You produce the body of Jesus, I'm out. Okay? You produce the body of Jesus and I'm out. That's not Larry's opinion. That's the New Testament's opinion. Okay? That's what Paul says. If Christ be not crucified... And when Paul says that, he means not just the, the crucifixion, but he means the resurrection as well. Because the crucifixion is meaningless to Christians without the resurrection. All right? And so Paul is saying, if you can produce the body of Jesus, then all of this is nonsense. We're to be pitied most among men. The problem here, beloved, is that most people, verse 6, most people think that they can live life the way that they want to as they had their pasture. They became satisfied. And being satisfied, their heart became proud. Therefore, they forgot me. Write that down. Go ahead and, go ahead and diagram it. Go ahead and outline it because that's the way people turn their back on God. How you boil a frog? What's the best way to boil a frog? You turn the heat up a little bit at a time. Okay? If you drop the frog into boiling water... It's going to know something is afoot. Okay? But if you turn the water up a little bit at a time because it's cold-blooded, it will never recognize that it's being boiled alive. Most people don't have a moment in their life where they go, Oh, I'm not going to follow God anymore. They just kind of drift a little bit. And they get comfortable. They get comfortable in that drift. And since God hasn't done anything major, then they drift a little bit more. They become satisfied. And being satisfied, their heart becomes proud. I don't need God no more, is what they say. Never needed Him in the first place. I don't know why I thought I needed Him. Therefore, they forgot me. And they forget, verse 4, Yet I have been the Lord your God since the land of Egypt, and you were not to know any God except me, for there is no Savior besides me. They were turning everywhere except where they should have. You see, beloved, God's Word teaches us that our spirit, our soul, however you want to look at it, is eternal is eternal. It will live forever. We will either live forever in heaven with God or we will be eternally separated from God in hell. And by the way, that is hell, being separated from God. Wherever God isn't, that's hell. Okay? And our, our Bible says that God is omnipresent, that He's all places at all times. But to be eternally separated from God Is hell. Now, y'all are saying, all right, what about all of this? 
Larry, you say you believe the Word of God. I do. I do. There's a time I didn't. That's not this sermon, but there was a time where I didn't really believe the Word of God. It was just a nice collection of pithy sayings that if they were helpful, then I would use them. If they weren't, then I would be happy in my own pasture and do things my way. But the Word of God testifies to us, and history testifies to us, that God did something to show to us the truth of eternal life. He sent His Son into this world to pay the price for our sin and to die, to really die. Some of the early heresies were that Christ didn't die on the cross. He only appeared to have died. Jesus died. He died the death that you and I deserve because of our sin. But to show to us that death is not the end, he was raised from the dead. And by the way, that's what one has to believe in order to become a Christian. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's what the Word of God says. And we have numerous men, numerous people whose lives were forever impacted by seeing the resurrected Christ. I mean, one of them wrote most of the New Testament. And this was a man that would not have been interested in anything about Jesus except quashing this new movement that believed in him. And so we have the testimony of these changed lives. See, what God is saying to us is that true followers of God will be saved from the power of death. We are ransomed and we are redeemed. All right. How many of y'all can finish this this, uh, ad tagline for me? When E.F. Hutton speaks, people listen. Now, some of us just showed our age, okay? Because that was a tagline, I think, back in the 70s for their commercials. That's what God is saying in verse 1 when he says, Ephraim. All along, Ephraim had been the largest tribe in the north. And they became more influential. So when Ephraim spoke, the other nine tribes listened. As went Ephraim, so went the rest of the northern kingdom. God says that their first problem was that they were guilty of false worship. When Ephraim spoke, there was trembling. In other words, when, when, when Ephraim had something to say, everybody in town wanted to listen. Everybody wanted to know what Ephraim said, and whatever Ephraim said, then they would do. But then, as my papa said, he got too big for his britches. He exalted himself in Israel. He thought, I'm all that in a bag of chips. People listen to me. I can control, I can sway the destiny of my country. But through Baal, he did wrong and he died. And now, 
they sin more and more. In other words, as if the sin of Ephraim wasn't enough, now they're saying, well, that ain't nothing. Watch this. And they make for themselves molten images, idols skillfully made from their silver, all of them the work of craftsmen, and they say of them, let the men who sacrifice kiss the calves. Let me tell you something, beloved. That's nasty. All right? I don't know if any of y'all have ever kissed the Blarney Stone, but if I ever go to Israel, I ain't kissing that thing. Okay? Number one, it's a rock. And I don't see any point in kissing a rock. And number two, I don't know how many millions of people have kissed that thing. Okay? If I do, I'd be like Mr. Monk, and I'd have me some alcohol and, and squirt right where I was going to kiss. But they get so excited about all that they're doing, and yet what they're doing is separating themselves from God. Paul said it in Romans 6.23. We know this verse. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And Paul lays it out a little bit further in Galatians. He said, (coughs) excuse me, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. Listen, beloved, if you sow your life away from God, God's going to give you what you want. God is going to give you exactly what you want. He's not going to rush in at the last minute and say, Oh, you know, you've done a pretty good job. You, You know, you've lived all right. Maybe not the best, but you did better than most. God is going to give you just what you want. Whatever you sow, you're going to reap. The one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Oh, beloved. Why in the world would you want to be sowing corruption into your own life? Verse 2 tells us what happened. Now they sin more and more. How many of y'all remember? I'm going back and pulling a lot of commercials in this morning. How many of y'all remember this one? You can't eat just one lays, right? How many of y'all ever noticed you can't sin just one sin? You can't sin just one sin. You can't lie just one lie. Once you start lying, you got to lie about the lie. Then you got to lie about the lie about the lie. And it just keeps going. Once you start sinning, once you make that choice that I'm going to live my life apart from God, then it's downhill from there. They were guilty of failing to acknowledge God as their God. The people loved their sin too much to acknowledge the Lord. I said, the people loved their sin too much to acknowledge the Lord. All right? Do I need to flesh that out, or are we understanding what God is saying? See, they wouldn't give to God's work, but they would give to their own work. You know, at the end of the 20th century, the United States of America was in a time of unprecedented prosperity. Yes, statistics show that in the 1990s, church givers or churchgoers gave the smallest percentage of their income and contributions since the Great Depression. Instead of living righteously and sacrificially, they chose to live 
selfishly. Verse 6 tells us that they were guilty of pride and self-sufficiency. It's all about me. I am at the center of the universe. I am at the center of my world. That's what they were saying. James 4, 6 tells us this. He gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And the humble are those that know enough that they need God. Verses 7 through 13. These people had stiffened their necks against Almighty God. And so God says He's going to come upon them. They leave Him no choice. They leave Him no choice but to do that. And so God says, all right, I'm going to let you have what you wanted. I have told you all along that if you rebel against me, that there will be judgment in your future. And you said, we want judgment. And so God is going to give it to them. Now, this is not a popular topic in our, in our culture. But judgment is a certainty. The coming judgment of God cannot be stopped. Second Peter 2, verses 4 through 16. Let's look at that real close. Or real quick. If God did not spare angels when they sinned, listen to me, beloved. Y'all understand Satan was once an angel. In fact, he was the chief angel. If God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to pits of darkness reserved for judgment and did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness, with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, and if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to destruction by reducing them to ashes, having made them an example to those who would live ungodly lives thereafter, and if he rescued righteous Lot, oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men, for by what he saw and heard that righteous man, while living among them, felt his righteous soul tormented day after day by their lawless deeds. Can I get a witness? Can I get a witness that a lot of times you go to work and you feel like that? I mean, you feel like you need to take a shower at lunchtime. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment. And especially those who indulge the flesh in his corrupt desires and despise authority, daring Self-willed, they do not tremble when they revile angelic majesties. Whereas angels who are greater in might and power do not bring a reviling judgment against them before the Lord. But these, like unreasoning animals born as creatures of instinct to be captured and killed, reviling where they have no knowledge, will in the destruction of those creatures also be destroyed, suffering wrong as the wages of doing wrong. They count it a pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are stains and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions as they carouse with you having eyes full of adultery that never cease from sin, enticing unstable souls, having a heart trained in greed, accursed children, forsaking the right way, they have gone astray, having followed the way of Balaam, the son of Baor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. But he received the rebuke 
for his own transgression, for a mute donkey speaking with a voice of a man restrained the madness of the prophet. Oh, beloved. How many of us have the sense of that jackass? How many of us have the sense to recognize that there is judgment in front of us if we are not doing what God calls us to do? We mentioned a few moments ago Romans 6.23, and and obviously the first part of that is a a pretty scary verse. We sin, we die. It's a one-to-one correlation. We sin, we die. But God never leaves us to our own devices without telling us about what He's done to save us. Amen? God clearly says that He will ransom and redeem His people from the grave and from death. What Hosea is saying is that for those who truly accept the Lord Jesus Christ and follow Him, death holds no fear. Jesus Christ has conquered death. And through Him, God gives us the wonderful hope of never experiencing death. Titus 2, 11 through 14 tells us this. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. Here's how all of this works out in our life. 1 Corinthians 15. You've heard it before. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable. And this mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Reckon where he got that from. Reckon where Paul was quoting from when, when when he said this. It's from Hosea 13, beloved. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death Where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let us not fail to remember that God is not a tolerant spectator to human frolicking, but He is intimately and closely concerned. If necessary, he will reach down and in judgment tear out the heart of those who fail to respond to his grace. Scripture speaks of eternal judgment. May God keep everyone in this room away from that. As an ambassador of the Lord Jesus Christ, I plead with you as the prophet pled with the people that God sent him to, 
turn and believe on the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Commit yourself, commit your life to Him. Trust in Him. Put Him and His interests at the top of your list of priorities and serve Him. Then you will know what true life really is. Then you will know what it means to be ransomed and redeemed.